0: Okay, I think we are going to get started then. My name is Karen Campbell. I chair the SASI committee. Uh, Two of my other committee members are here. Carl Richardson from Massachusetts and Larry Johnson from Texas. Um, We're we're going to be doing a program. First part of this is going to be on hearing health. Um, Basically hearing aid fitting and training and why it needs to be different. The presenter for that by phone will be Tom Brennan. He is a he's a gentleman, he is blind and has certification as an audiologist. He got his tr- training in speech and language from Stephen F. Austin State University in Austin, Texas. Um, When he was taking a graduate class, um, he had to do some tests for it and couldn't get anyone to do them for him, so he took the classes to to learn how to do it, and that's how he got into audiology. In the 1980s, he was diagnosed with something called Meniere's disease, which affects hearing and can affect balance as well. He mainly, in his practice now, treats fluency disorders and people with uh, Meniere's disease. And he's is, he is going to uh, once we get the get him on the phone. He is going to discuss um, hearing aid fitting and training and why it needs to be different for us as opposed to those who are sighted. Uh, Ray, if you one want one to go one ahead one and though, we... we could we could do that. <laughs> Um, if you want to take the mic around and have people introduce themselves, and we'll make the phone call. Okay. Name,
1: name and where you're from. Hey. We'll start over here. Yes.
0: I'm Janet Louise Wilson from Pacific Grove, California.
2: Okay. The okay. My name is Moses Babafemi. I'm from Los Angeles, California. We're here and here, in Bohia here uh, since about maybe 2003.
1: Good afternoon. Ray Campbell, Secretary of ACB from Illinois.
3: Carl. Carl Richardson from Boston, Massachusetts. Larry
4: San Antonio, Texas. Larry Johnson.
3: Roger Peterson from Mountain View, California. Uh, a former member of this committee and a member of the of the equivalent committee in California.
0: Bernice Kanderian from Mountain View, California.
5: Mitch Pomerantz, Pasadena, California, relatively new member of the uh, hearing loss community.
6: Margie DeMars, Crossville, Tennessee.
7: JC Gary, and Mom
8: Tina May from Merced, California. Hey,
4: that's everybody. Is it 2924?
0: Yeah. he knew what time this was gonna come. So.
1: Hello, hello, Tom. This is uh, Ray Campbell. This is the uh, Sight and Sound Impaired Program, live from Reno. How are you? Doing okay.
8: Okay. staying out in the heat,
1: although I don't think we're as hot as y'all are. Okay. Okay. I'm it's gonna, gonna put. I'm gonna put. You right you now. I'm gonna grab Sean Gravy that wireless. I'm. I'm gonna put yeah. you on put you on so you can say hello to everybody just to hold on a second let me get in the mic okay here's the
8: microphone okay let me put this up Tom, say hello to everybody well hello folks this is tom brennan from central texas all
1: right Well, hello tom um so karen you want Tom to go ahead
0: yeah go 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 ahead i've already done the introduction is, is,
1: is everybody hearing him okay
8: Go ahead. Go ahead, Tom. Okay. Uh, Like I said, my name is Tom Brennan, and I'm in Texas. I am deaf-blind. I've had both eyes removed, so I'm about as blind as you're going to get. And uh, my hearing loss is due to Meniere's disease (coughs) Uh, bilaterally. I am... A certified audiologist. I'm certified by the American Speech Language Hearing Association and I'm also licensed in Texas. I'm also uh, ASTRA certified and Texas licensed in speech pathology and I've been doing this for about 30 years. And uh, what I want to talk about today is why a hearing aid fitting for a sighted person doesn't always work for a blind person or a deaf-blind person. Um, I guess the first thing that I need to say is that I am not one of those people who believes that a blind person can do anything that a sighted person can do. If I believe that, then the talk that I'm doing today would be unnecessary because uh blind people could use their hearing aids in the same way that sighted people use their hearing aids, and it, it turns out that it doesn't work out that way. <clears throat> in the United States, and statistics are a really slippery thing, but in the United States, depending on what definition you use, there are somewhere between 9 million and 48 million hearing-impaired people. And for me personally, I'm going to say that the actual number is probably around 40 million. For the deaf-blind, there's somewhere between about 42,000 and 125,000. And my personal thinking is there's maybe eighty or 90,000. So we're talking about a very small group. Uh, a very small subgroup of what is initially a, a relatively small group. We're talking maybe point zero one percent of the population, maybe point zero two percent. So it's a it's a small group, and because of that, it turns out that we're going to have to do a lot of self advocacy. When I went through my audiology training. There was not once uh, all the way through my postgraduate training and my uh, internship and all my uh, testing and such, there was never a mention of deafblind people uh, except uh, mentions that i that I did myself in class the uh, the o and m people the orientation mobility people uh, and I've done all the ONM certification stuff I just didn't get the certification because I didn't think it was worth the money but uh there actually is one chapter in one of their books uh on audiology but audiologists get no training on deaf blindness and audiologists that I've talked to uh professionally and And uh, as a hearing aid user myself, I just kind of sit there and go, gee, we don't know what you're talking about. You know, if you put a hearing aid on somebody, you put a hearing aid on them, and it works the same whether they're blind or not. But it actually doesn't. Oh, that dog barking back there is my my alarm clock. Sorry about that. Uh, I have it set up for the 5 o'clock news. That's what he's fussing about. So let me let me do this first. And I know there's going to be some people that are going to disagree with what I'm about to say, and I'm sorry that there are, but in my opinion, it's the way it is. There are some people who feel that deaf blindness should be considered a separate disorder from blindness or deafness. And for the purposes of what I'm about to say, that can't really be the case. Uh, Deaf-blindness doesn't create a new disorder. It just creates an interaction between two existing disorders. You can't say one plus one equals three. You know, you're looking at one plus one equals two. And, of course, for us as as consumers, and I really often see myself as more of a consumer than I do a professional, um, for our for ourselves as consumers, if we consider ourselves as deafblind people to have a completely different disorder, you're going to scare away the professionals because they've got no training in it, and they're not going to be able to find it anywhere in the books. It's just that simple, so to keep things uh, a little simpler and to make things easier to work with, I don't consider them uh, to create a third disorder. I consider deafness and blindness to be two uh, disorders that interact in very unfortunate ways, and they do tend to amplify each other. Uh, anybody who has stood up and walked across the room and run right into the wall knows what I'm talking about, and I don't believe there's a blind person in there that hasn't done that at some point. You know, and when you run into the wall, you either go, gee, I knew that was there, why did I hit it, you know, or who put that thing there? <laughs> You know. It it just happens, uh and it's part of the blindness thing, but if you're deaf blind, it becomes more a part of it, but it's not a separate a separate disorder. You just have amplified what's already there. So with having said those things, what I want to talk about is hearing aid use. And Because of time constraints and because it would bring in an awful lot of material, for what I'm going to say, and I'm sorry for folks that may be wearing these things, I need to have this not apply to cochlear implants because they are a very, very special case. And I need to have it not apply to things like Baja's, the bone-anchored hearing aids, because they're a semi-special case. So for right now, let's just talk about regular hearing aid users. When you go to an audiologist for testing, and let me just say real quickly that you can go to a hearing aid dealer. The basic difference between a hearing aid dealer and an audiologist is that a hearing aid dealer has a high school diploma or maybe two years of college uh and between 6 and 18 months of training. An audiologist has a doctorate, a year of clinical internship beyond the doctorate, uh, and there's just no comparison in the training. That doesn't mean that I think there aren't so good hearing aid dealers around. There are. I've worked for some myself. But in general... You do better to go with an audiologist. A hearing aid dealer, actually, all they can do is fit you for a hearing aid. An audiologist can actually work with what's going on, uh, do some diagnostic stuff and, and determine the sorts of things that are happening with you as well as, uh, be able to work with, uh, with your hearing disorders. It's called oral habilitation, aural habilitation, A U R A L. Rehabilitation, meaning uh, the ears. So, let's just assume, for the sake of argument, you go to an audiologist, and you're gonna you're gonna get a set of tests done, and these are pretty standardized tests. But what I'm going to tell you guys first is that there are. There's at least one of those tests, and sometimes more of them, that when they do the test on you, you're supposed to have a copy of the list of words that you're listening to so that you can look at it during the test. And I would be willing to bet good money that there is nobody in this group who ever had a Braille copy of uh, a word list during their hearing aid testing. Anybody, Anybody there ever had one? No. I Now, I will say, when I've had deafblind clients, I would sit down and braille the list that I wanted to use. But as far as I know, I'm the only blind audiologist there is. There's a guy in Arizona who is a blinded audiologist, but he was blinded after he became an audiologist. And I don't mean to belittle his achievement for staying in the field, But he's not a blind audiologist, you know. Uh, But consequently, even if you count him, there's him and there's me, and that's it for blind audiologists. And so you're not likely to find somebody who's going to do that testing on you and present you with a braille copy of, of what they're testing and say, here, this is what you... This is what you're going to be hearing, and this is what I want you to look at. You're also not going to find an audiologist who's going to give you a Braille copy of your audiogram, right? Anybody ever had that? (laughs) They're a little more complicated to Braille, but it can be done, and I have done it for people. uh, And Braille, their test scores and other things, and that's certainly something that you should be entitled to. Remember that whether you're using insurance or doing it yourself, you're paying for a service or somebody's paying for that service and you have the right as a consumer to expect the same thing that other people get for that service. And unfortunately, you're not going to get it. And it's because you're blind or because you're deafblind. Uh, you will find that you know, you still have the sorts of things like uh, my wife, who's also blind, and I can't get our records from the state. We can't get manuals. Uh, I've been turned down for jobs, even though I've got, you know, multiple degrees and certifications and stuff just because I was blind and, you know, that sort of thing. So that goes on. But once you get into audiology, it becomes much more complicated uh And to show you how entrenched this kind of thinking is in the field, I belong to several Internet lists which are closed to the public, for professional people only. And the one I'm fixing to tell you about wasn't in the United States, so I can't jump up and do an ADA filing about this, although I'll tell you, to do an ADA filing, you better have at least $100,000 and 10 years to waste, because that's what it's going to take. But there is a list that I belong to that a couple of weeks ago, uh, an audiologist, a research audiologist put up a notice that he needed people for a study on sound perception by the blind. Well, I saw that and I thought, you know, this is, this is cool. I'm going to write this guy and tell him, you know, as a blind person... I'd be interested in participating in this or, you know, even being one of the, the research uh, associates in it. And he wrote me back, and this is, uh, this is as true as I am talking to you guys right now. He wrote me back, and he said, we cannot have a blind person involved in doing this study.
1: Whoa,
8: whoa, whoa. Oh. <laughs> That's right. That makes as much sense as saying we're going to have blind people study uh, painted art and we can't have sighted people involved in the study it makes no sense but this is the the mentality of the professionals that you have to deal with and, and these guys on this list are the best in the world they're the biggest names that you'll see in the journals but they're still into this you know oh no we we, You know, even when we're studying blind people, we can't have blind people involved in the study, which is just bizarre. So the fact that that goes on, you know, makes it not surprising at all. And that's not the first time I've seen that sort of thing. But that makes it not surprising that you're you're not going to get Braille materials or uh large print materials or recorded materials or something from most of the audiologists around. Um, Once you get through the testing ordeal, the next process that you're gonna do, and you understand I'm I'm shortcutting this a great deal so I can get said what I you know what I want to say, but the next process you're gonna do is a selection of your hearing aids. And this is where the first issues for blind people come in, you know, other than testing. And those issues have to do with what kind of hearing aids are you going to wear? Are you going to wear the ones that go behind your ear that hook over the top of your ear? And that is what I recommend for reasons which I'll explain in a minute. Or are you going to use the ones that go in your ear that that fill up your the bowl of your ear, or are you going to use the little tiny ones that go way down inside your ear? Now, one of the things that you have to deal with is the smaller that you make a hearing aid, the less true the sound reproduction is. And unfortunately, a hearing aid is never going to make you hear normally. Uh, It will make you hear, or it may make you hear, it may make you understand but it won't be like your ears were. And so in miniaturizing hearing aids and making them smaller, you increase that problem because the smaller you make them, the poorer the fidelity. It's like listening to a stereo versus listening to somebody's smartphone. You know, you can understand the smartphone, but the sound quality is pretty iffy, uh, you know, if you compare it with a stereo. The other thing that happens is if you wear an... in the ear, which is the uh, hearing aid that that fills the, the bowl of your ear or in the canal, which is the little one that goes down in your ear, the ear mold is part of the hearing aid. And so you're stuck with that unless you send it in and have it rebuilt by the factory, and it's going to be pricey. It's going to be two or three hundred dollars per aid at least. Uh, if you have a behind the ear aid, and some people are concerned with those aids because they think that they look bad and whatnot, and and really they're not much more visible than than any other uh, kind of aid. Actually, they're less visible than an all in the ear. Uh, but with, a behind the ear aid, you can change the ear mold on it if, for whatever reason, you want a different ear mold for different sound characteristics, because the ear molds determine a lot of the sound characteristics that you get from a hearing aid, you can just pop that ear mold off and have a new one made. You know, cost you $20, $40, you know, whatever your audiologist decides to charge you, um... When I fit hearing aids, if the person has residual hearing, if they have remaining hearing that is still usable, even if they can only determine noise with it, if they're still usable hearing, then I, unless I need a very powerful hearing aid, and usually with that, you're not going to have any usable hearing anyway. But what I like to do is fit what's called an open ear mold or uh, a skeleton ear mold. A skeleton ear mold is just basically uh, an ear mold framework that fits in the ear, and uh, uh, an open mold is just uh, an ear mold that only occludes a little bit of the ear, and the reason for that is so that, the ear mold doesn't stop up your ear and take away whatever hearing is left in it. Now, the other thing that happens with a behind-the-ear hearing aid is you can put more stuff in it because it's bigger. And really, I'd rather get one of the even slightly larger behind-the-ear aids because you can put all kinds of things in them and do all kinds of things with them. Uh, So... With the -the behind-the-ear aid, we have a little more room to play with the gadgetry that goes in it, and we can alter the ear molds. And the ear molds can usually be altered right in the office. The audiologist should be able to do that, Uh, drill holes in it or uh, put extensions on the ear canal to change the frequency response or, you know, various things that can be done in the office instead of having to send your hearing aid away to get it worked on. Now, once you have decided on a hearing aid, then you have to decide what features you want in the aid. Now, one of the things that sighted people do, which is a horrible idea for a blind person, is that they want to use, first off, what's called an automatic gain control. And this is for those of you guys who are a little bit older like I am, it's what they used to call automatic volume control. All it does, it keeps your hearing aid from getting too loud. When the volume gets to a certain point, it just won't go any louder. Now, another thing that they may use is called compression. Now, let me make a little picture for you guys. Uh, If The sound comes in waves, just like water comes in waves, except sound is moving through the air. So if you think of a road, just a straight, flat road, okay, and along the side of the road, there are valleys. Now, let's say the valleys are a foot deep, and there are peaks, and the peaks are a foot high, and you're running down this road, right in between them, right in the middle at zero. And what you get is a peak and back to the road and a valley, back to the road and a peak. So it's it's just an up and down wave. Okay? Now, in sound, when you have those waves, how fast those waves happen, how close together they are, is frequency. The closer together they are, the higher the pitch of the sound. The further apart they are, the lower the pitch. Now, those peaks and valleys that I was talking about, and this is important in just a minute, the peaks and valleys that I was talking about are volume. The higher the peaks, the higher the volume. Uh, The lower the valleys, the lower the volume. Okay? So, if we put this sound wave on a screen what we get is this nice pretty wave with these pretty peaks and valleys in it and it's perfectly even now in the real world it's not going to stay perfectly even but let's leave it even for our example okay what we're going to do The most common thing that people use in hearing aids is called compression. Now what it does is it takes the sound wave, remember our peaks and valleys, and it only allows the peaks to get so high and it only allows the valleys to get so low. So it sort of flattens it out or at least it keeps the volume from getting too high or too low. Okay? Now, we have one other thing that I need to talk about, and that is called peak clipping. Now, what that does is it takes our nice little sound wave, and in order to keep it at a volume that's acceptable to the hearing aid user, it just chops off the top and bottoms of the peaks. Just cuts the the peaks off, cuts the top of the little mountains off, cuts the bottom of the little valleys off. Okay? All of those things, the automatic gain, the compression, and and uh, the uh, peak clipping are all ways to try to control the volume. Now, those peaks are called the ceiling, and the valleys are called the floor. So you can have... Um, ceiling compression, or floor compression, or you can have both. Okay, now, the purpose of those things is to control the volume and to keep the sound from hurting your ears or being uncomfortable or being unpleasant to you. Because just because you have a hearing loss doesn't mean that loud sound won't hurt your ears. It can still hurt your ears just like it would for a normally hearing person and so the idea of this control is to keep that from happening and sometimes you're going to have to use that but folks here's the problem for blind people assume that we've got ear molds that we like that maybe leave the ear open we've got the the hearing aids, the behind-the-ear hearing aids that allow us to have a little more uh, flexibility in what we do. And now we're going to start looking at this peak clipping and, and compression and these uh, the automatic gain, and what happens? All the sounds sound the same. Something from across the room is the same volume as the person sitting next to you. Well, that may help you in one-on-one speech, but when you get out in the street with your cane or your dog guide Uh or even a sighted guide, what happens is everything sounds the same, so you can't tell if a car is two blocks away. Or if it's three feet away from you, and that's a very, very dangerous situation for a blind person. That'll get you killed quick. Or if you're talking to somebody, if you're maybe hearing people, if the hearing aid compensates for volumes, you can't tell if it's a person standing six feet away from you or 20 feet away from you. And there's mobility cases in which that makes a lot of difference. So what needs to be able to happen if you need those things in hearing aid, and sometimes you do. I'm not saying you should never have those things, but if you're a blind person and it's possible to do it with your hearing loss, you need to be able to turn those things off, at least when you're out in the streets or you're out, somewhere where you can get yourself hurt by not being able to, you know, control your mobility well. Now, there's one other thing that I need to talk about, and that's microphones, because you can get several kinds of microphones in a hearing aid, and I almost always recommend two hearing aids. If You're a sighted person, and you get glasses. You don't get glasses just for one eye. And so why would you want to get a hearing aid for just one ear if you needed two of them? As it is, even if you're using two hearing aids, you are going to lose a lot of your ability to tell where a sound is coming from. But if you just use one aid when you need two, I can just about guarantee you 100% of the time you'll lose all of that ability. So you need two aids in order to try to tell where sound is coming from. Um, It's, you know, the old thing. You'll be in the store and you're talking to somebody and you don't know where they are. Are they behind you, beside you, in front of you? You know, are they on the escalator up above you? You know, when you start to lose hearing, it becomes very, very difficult to tell that. And so you want to enhance that in any way you can. So first we want to probably put two aids on you. Now, I have done single aid fittings because somebody still had very good hearing in one ear. But I have also had people who needed two aids, who would not accept two of them, that I just referred to somebody else. Because uh, I'm not going to waste their time and my time by putting something on them that I know they're going to be unhappy with. And hearing aids are not cheap. Uh, uh, And unfortunately, audiologists can't do anything about that. You have to charge the going rate uh, or the hearing aid manufacturers won't sell to you plus for example in texas as well as asha it's in the code of ethics that you have to charge the going rate in your area for any services that you do in fact in texas it's in the licensure law and if you don't charge the going rate you can lose your license so we want to get two hearing aids on somebody, whenever that's possible, and then we need to look at the microphones. There are three basic kinds of microphones. One is called an omnidirectional microphone, and it just he- hears sound from all around you. From, uh, usually they have about 180 degrees of, of pickup, and the problem with them is they pick up everything, And you may not be wanting to hear everything. The other type of microphone, primary microphone that you have is is a directional microphone. And those are microphones that basically are going to pick up pretty specifically where you point them. Okay, now, when we... Yeah, I think I'm going to make this a little easier. Let's limit it to those two type of microphones. Okay. When we put those microphones in a hearing aid, we have some option about how they're going to be pointed. And what sighted people like to do is they like to have both of those microphones pointed straight front so that they're hearing what they're looking at. Well. It's going to rule out most of us guys, because unless you got enough sight to do something with, and if you do, it kind of rules you out of this, but unless you got enough sight to do something with, you can't look at where you want the thing to point. The other thing is, again, we're back to the situation with mobility. If those microphones are pointed straight in front of you, you don't hear things to the side. Okay? Now, you can have those microphones pointed straight to the side. And for mobility, that's a little bit better, but it makes it hard to talk to the person sitting across the table from you because the microphones are pointed the wrong way. So sort of a compromise for that is to point them at about a 45-degree angle or point them, you know, a little bit out from center. Uh, And that way you can still talk to somebody that's in front of you Uh, and you can still get some pickup from the sides, and because they're at an angle like that, for example, if there's a car coming, you know, as as the sound gets further away from you, the spread that you can pick it up from widens, and so probably about a 45-degree angle is what you want. Now, because we're talking about using... uh, behind the ear aid that's a little bit larger, you actually might be able to put a couple of sets of microphones, maybe even as many as three. You might be able to have one, you know, facing at 45 degrees, have one facing front, and have one facing behind you and be able to switch them. But, of course, all that, you know, the more gadgetry in there that you you have to, have to be switching back and forth, the more complicated it makes it. So... Things like that are are usually more acceptable to young folks than they are older folks. You know, older folks, we just want to put them on and go with them. So those are the sorts of things that you really kind of need to be aware of. And ideally, if you're going to be wearing hearing aids, your audiologist really should go out into the environment with you, see the kinds of things that you're having to deal with, uh, maybe work with an O&M instructor and, and work with some of your O&M situations and such. Unfortunately, that very seldom happens, and uh, uh, that's, I think, an indictment of audiology. But those are the kinds of things that you need to be looking at with hearing aids. the Being able to turn off those automatic features and being able to have microphones that are in a position to be useful to you and being able to have ear molds that are also useful to you, which means not just little aids stuck down in your ears.
1: Tom, thank you very much. Um, Karen, I know you've got the panel, but do you want to take a couple questions? Yes. Um, well, certainly. Um, how, how many questions? How much time do you think we have for questions? I don't want to.
0: We've got. We can probably take about two or three.
1: Okay. Uh, Tom, we're going to take about three questions from the audience. Okay. So uh, Okay, uh, let's get you mic'd up. Uh, Sean, why don't you grab that wireless out of the podium uh, there, and sure. it, and I'll keep Tom on this one so he can hear what's going on. I'm
0: trying to get it out. Just
1: slide it, slide it, slide it. Uh, Towards you, I'll get it.
5: We're going to get the question Mike Hold on. Okay. I'm I'm relatively new to this, Tom. I have uh, a hearing aid in my left ear. It was uh, it was uh, prescribed by Kaiser and uh, I have the mold of course in my ear, but from your description, I think it's uh the kind you talked about that you prefer because it's got um, it's over the ear, and I do I am able to control the volume. However, uh, I will I I will not use it when I'm traveling independently. I'll use it when I'm out with my wife um, because it really because there's only one hearing aid. My my hearing is is normal in my right ear, but when I'm traveling and I'm crossing streets or whatever, it is really difficult, if not impossible to determine direction so I don't wear it when I'm when I'm out on my own but I think it's the the one you're you're describing the over the ear but I do have control over the volume Uh, but again in 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 loud situations and loud places uh, yeah the all the all the sound is the same whether I'm talking to somebody uh, across a table or um, you know, people are twenty feet away. So, um, what Kaiser told me is it's a two thousand dollars hearing aid, and the next the next best one, or or the one the higher end one is six thousand dollars. And uh, I could not convince them to give me the higher end one. But uh, you know, it am I am I correct in assuming it is the over the year one that I have been prescribed? Yeah, that. That
8: sounds like what you've got. The -the over-the-ear will have what's called an ear hook, and it hangs actually on the top of your ear. And then there is an ear mold, which is basically attached by a little hose that goes down into your ear. Yeah, that's an over-the-ear. Yep, that's what he's got.
1: Uh, Any other questions? Okay, Moses up here to my right's got
2: I'm in the process of getting a hearing aid. When I went to my audiologist last week, she asked me, Do you like the kind you wear? Well, I don't know how to answer her because I don't know which one, I mean, those hearing aids that are out there. But the one that I'm wearing currently is Star Kick. My hearing is very, very low. So, what kind of hearing aid will you? Um, suggest for someone that is totally blind and only have about five percent hearing do you have any suggestion about what to i think that the sorry before you hand brand of
8: the hearing aid is usually not too important what's important is that it has the features that you want on it but the brands of hearing aids actually are largely very similar and so It isn't the brand that's as much an issue as it is the style of hearing aid, whether you have a behind-the-ear or an all-in-the-ear or an all-in-the-canal. But the brand, per se, generally doesn't matter much. And audiologists are going to tend to fit brands that they're familiar with Mm -hmm. uh, and that have the features that they like to have, you know, in hearing aids. So I wouldn't worry too much about the brand.
2: Okay, sorry, um, my last question is that because I'm going back to school, I wear a neck loop that will, could be connected to the microphone that I will give to my instructor. I wanted to find out if there are neck loop that could be connected to several microphones so that when I'm in the class, I could give it to maybe four or five students when we're having group discussion.
8: Is there that- anything? There to- are... Probably a number of things that you could do. Uh, you could look at using a personal neck loop, and it should be able to be connected to that hearing aid. There's usually a very small two-pin plug on the hearing aid that will allow that. Uh, you also might consider an alternative listening device uh, where the instructor would actually have a microphone. So they're talking directly into the microphone, which gives you really, really good uh, uh, quality output, and actually, uh, the school—whether it's university or uh, you know or pre-university—they uh, should be able to actually provide an alternative listening device if if you uh, don't have access to one. My personal recommendation, if you could get one, is an alternative listening device where the professor actually has the microphone. The only disadvantage to that is you may not hear the students in the classroom. You may not get good student interaction that way, but you get very good uh, sound quality from the professor.
1: Mm-hmm. Good. So and Carl Richardson is saying that there are conference-style uh, mics that you can get. And yeah,
8: there, are, there are lots of gadgets that, that are available these days that even 15 years ago, you know, we just didn't have. And so the, the key is to check with your audiologist, see what they have available, because it's always good to be able to try these things before you buy them, because if you get them through an audiologist or a hearing aid dealer or anything like that, they're going to cost a great deal of money. And so you always either want to be able to try it first or you want a, you know, a trial period where you can bring it back and get your money back. But remember, when you bring hearing aids back or you bring devices back, it's legal in, I believe, all states for them to charge you restocking fees and charge you testing fees and stuff. So it could end up costing you a couple of hundred bucks. So check on that sort of thing before you take anything on a trial.
1: Take one more question. Yeah. Yes. Um,
4: Margie has a question. Yes.
6: I have I have no hearing in my right ear. I lost it due to an autoimmune disease. Um the doctor wanted to put a cochlear implant into me when I complained about I have no sound direction at all. But my cancer treatment doctors stopped him from doing that, and so I have a Baja. But the Baja, I can hear pretty good from anybody that's sitting in the table behind me. And I can't hear anyone that talks on my right side. Is there anything that could be done about the microphone in this Baja that I'm wearing? Uh, a
8: Baja is similar to a cochlear implant uh, in that the, the external part of it, the what you call the hearing aid part of it, actually is a processor. Uh, and so it should be possible for the audiologist to make some adjustments to possibly help that situation uh, you need to go in and tell them exactly what you know what the issue is for you and and the kinds of situations where it it gives you a problem but the Baja is a pretty uh, processor intensive unit and so there should be lots of adjusting that they can do with it and if the microphone issue Becomes a problem. That's something that probably even can be changed out if it if it came to having to do that. But a lot of times on baha's and and uh, uh, cochlear implants and things the uh, and even some of the high end hearing aids, you can change the microphone just by changing the settings on the hearing aid to make the microphone act like a different kind of microphone. So. Uh, There's certainly a a good possibility that the audiologist can help with that situation. I would go in and tell them, you know, what it is that's going on, and make sure that they understand that it's a problem because you're blind. Don't just let them think it's your ears. You need to explain to them, you know, because you're blind, you cannot verify with your eyes what your ears are hearing, and you may have to tell them that repeatedly because... Sighted people don't tend to really get that a lot of times, and so they have to understand. If nothing else, tell them, you know, it's like closing your eyes and leaving them closed and trying to tell what's happening, you know, with the hearing aid. But I think there's a good chance they can uh, adjust out your problem with, uh, with the Baja's because they are pretty processor-intensive.
6: Well, that's interesting because the first Baja they gave me was a larger unit, and I got so frustrated because in the theater, for instance, I could hear the person with the candy bar <laughs> unwrapping the candy bar very clearly, but I couldn't hear yeah, anyone yeah. to my right. And and that may be a
8: microphone me. issue. Um, yeah,
6: And and then when they changed it out to the smaller processor... I, I think it's called the Mini Baja or something. You know, it's much better, and I can hear better with it on. But I, they thought that I would have some sound direction. I absolutely have no sound direction, and so. Well, and, I, and I honestly, still feel like and I can this is the where table me a, than I can an so audiologist me. in a
8: large practice, such as a hospital, is sometimes better. Uh, it's better if you can try several of these things, you know, to see which one works, because just because it looks like on paper that it's what you need, it's not always the case. We don't have the ability yet to, to be able to say absolutely what a person needs in a hearing aid. We can make an educated guess, but sometimes it's just a trial and error thing to find out what works for them, because in addition to any hearing loss, that you've got your psychology your personal psychology also is going to affect how you interact with your hearing aids. So, you know, don't be afraid to, uh, right. you know, to ask for trials on, on more than one device because uh, that's not an unreasonable request.
6: Also, uh, I just wanted to ask uh, about, um, now you you made me lose my, my train of thought, um, as far as the background noise, before on my old Baja, I could just do a little switch. Now it does it automatically, and I cannot tell at all any difference between whether to try to cut down the background noise in a crowded room.
8: Well, and again, that's a processor issue. You know, that was kind of what I was talking about with with. Uh, peak clipping and compression and such. It sounds like maybe you've got a compression circuit that's active, and it may be that they need to to either raise the ceiling and lower the floor in that thing, or they just need to turn the compression circuit off.
6: Okay, thank you so much, doctor. Sure.
8: Well, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to talk with y'all. I've been doing this for about thirty years, and and I have have had very little contact with the deafblind community. I guess I've fitted and worked with maybe six deafblind people over the years, uh, and you know, like I said, uh, I'm the still the only blind audiologist that I know of. You know, and it's been thirty years. I think it's criminal, but that's the way it is, and I'm hoping that you know, we start to get some other blind folks in the field because ultimately I think for the deaf-blind, it's going to take deaf-blind or at least blind people to understand what's going on with them and, and to be able to identify with some of the really specific kind of problems that deaf-blind people have. Thank you. Okay, sure,
1: appreciate you. Oops, I I, I cut him off a little quick there. I'm sorry. Do we have his contact information? Because
0: I'd love to send a friend of mine to him. I will see if I can get permission to
1: give that to... Here, let me give you this. Give me
0: that,
1: please. Would you like the microphone back in the podium? Actually, we can take this one, because we're going we're to do a panel, so... Um,
0: I, can, I can see if I can give him per- get permission to give... give out his contact information. Also, if you are interested, we do have a a discussion list. If you want to get on that, it's S-A-S-I-dash-subscribe at A-C-B-L-I-S-T-S dot org. And i can tell you tom brennan is on that list S A S I dash subscribe at a c b lists l i s t s dot org And if I could have Carl and Larry? They're up
1: here.
0: Okay. I'm back a little further. I'm moving without a cane. That's
3: dangerous. We're we're ready whenever you are, Karen. So do you want us to start? Is that how you want us to do it?
0: Um, We can do it. The the next thing we were going to talk about and it's a topic that's been on the list, is social isolation. Basically, how you how you uh, deal with uh, various situations. I'm going to pass the mic, I think,
3: to Carl. I have a microphone. He's actually got a mic. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay, go ahead then. So, I'm, I'm an ADA coordinator for the state of Massachusetts, so I do a lot of reading on different disabilities. And I will tell you... There is a lack of literature on the deaf-blind. There's plenty on the blind, there's plenty on the deaf, hard of hearing, but there's a lack of literature. However, what literature there is does say the following, that no matter how minor, if you take them each separately, the hearing loss or the vision loss is, and they can be manageable when they're separate, when you combine the two, it is a very significant disability when you combine the two. It says, the literature said that it can lead to isolation, feeling of loneliness, lack of orientation and mobility, um, lack of employment, and um, I had to take to bring this one up. But even uh, cognitive uh, issues later on, if if because you're not getting all the information, and it can lead to um, lack of comprehension of what's going on. Now, however said that, I was born with the hearing loss and became legally blind later. So I lost the ability to read lips. I lost the ability to uh, travel as safely as I would like, however, I still do it. And I do think there are things you can do. There are steps you can take to mitigate a lot of these things. One thing is preparation, preparation, preparation. I can't stress that enough. If you can get to someplace early, be the first one in the room, then you can scope where to sit and, and and where to position yourself so you can hear people from all directions. If you um sometimes I'll even do a route the day before the if I have a lot of time. The day before. So the next day when I don't have time, I know the route. Um I tell people, hey, I can't hear. Would you mind repeating? I'm not embarrassed to say, please, can you repeat yourself? I will tell a restaurant to lower the music down. Um, I will avoid certain places that I know that are noisy. Um, I will put myself in a location where I know, like when I was in college, I always hung out by the keg because people would go to the keg to get beer, Right. So, so put yourself where you know people are going to come up to you. And this is the part that maybe everybody doesn't agree with. But because people often feel uncomfortable around those who have a dual sensory loss, it is up to you to be charming and to get people to like you and to feel comfortable around you so that they will talk to you and will work with you. And, um, communication access is the other thing. And here are some of the things. I just spent $6,000 on these hearing aids. And it's a lot of money, but I did it for a number of reasons. These hearing aids work directly with my iPhone. They're Bluetooth-enabled so that they work specifically with the iPhone. And now I can hear people talking to my ear when I make phone calls. Uh, They also came with microphones, two microphones, one small, so that it's like if I were having a one-on-one conversation with someone, they could talk into this microphone and it goes straight. And a larger conference down microphone, so if I were at a conference table at a conference meeting, I can put this omnidirectional microphone in the middle of a conference table. And when people speak, I hear people as if in a meeting. The other thing I do constantly is ask people to... This is something we've always done in the deaf and hard of hearing community. Uh, there are rules of communication, we make people say their name first because uh, we can't always tell. Who, so you know who's doing the talking. Hi, this is Carl, you know, um, when you're in a large group. Um, so I just think preparation, awareness of what your ability is. To me, this I love coming to the ACB conference, but every year as my vision loss and hearing loss both progressively get worse, I get more overwhelmed with the environment, particularly in this environment, with the casinos. So guess what? I'm not staying up till midnight anymore. <laughs> you know? I, I'm also old. But, 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 you know, now I'm going to bed at 10 o'clock and waking up at 7 or 6, so I have a little more energy the next day. It takes a tremendous amount of energy to be aware, but be aware of that. So I'm not saying know your limitations, but know your capabilities and know how far to push them so that you can do better Moving forward, so those are just. And by the way, I don't have all the answers. I enjoy meeting all of you, so I learn what your strategies are, what your coping mechanisms are. But those are just some of the things that I do. And my whole family knows that I, I get overwhelmed when I get together with. I married a wi- My wife is Irish Catholic, so we have a huge family. And you know, she she. My, I'm not kidding. My wife has 65 first cousins.
7: Oh wow! <laughs> so. so
3: Guess what? Cousins didn't get invited to our wedding. But but, but, but we do have family gatherings all the time. And when the Sullivan's have a family gathering, it's not unusual to have 40, 50 people because they have so many siblings and so many uncles and aunts and cousins and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. I hung i by
1: the cake, too, Carl, but it was, they didn't do it during once.
3: Awesome. Okay. Okay, but but, and, but but I tell what my point is, and then I'll move on to Larry. And, and my point is, I let them know. Listen, I'm going to go to here. Please come up to me, talk to me. I let people know so that they en- figure out ways to engage me in the communication process and the socialization process. Unfortunately, the burden is on us to enhance the lack of isolation, not on others. And we just have to let people know that. Thank you. Thank you.
0: And you're going to pass that to Larry?
4: Okay. My name's uh, Larry Johnson. I'm uh, now in San Antonio, Texas. I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. I uh, was uh, blind since the age of six months. I had perfect hearing. I depended on my hearing 100%. I was proud of my hearing, but I got old, and, and what happens when you get old is things begin to fail. And it was really hard in the beginning for me to accept the fact that I didn't hear as well as I used to. And my wife used to say, You have selective hearing, you only hear what you want to hear. Partly that was true, you know. But it also became clear after a while that I needed a hearing aid, so I got one. For about two hundred and fifty dollars, uh, it helped a little bit, but then it didn 't really help very much and And what Tom was talking about is so true because you know i couldn 't really tell where sound was coming from it it you know it was not directional well, little by little, I began getting better hearing aids and uh not too long ago, I did what Carl did, and I spent a bunch of money, and I got two Pretty good at hearing aids, but they don't—they don't return your hearing to normal. They don't, nope. and you have to compensate for that. You have to be aware of that and and accept the fact that you do have to uh, make um, accommodations. Let me first say a couple of general things about social isolation. What is that? Well, it's a state of either complete or near-complete lack of contact between uh, other individuals and society. And, you know, we really are hardwired to interact with other human beings, especially during times of stress and need. And rejection by others wounds us very deeply we feel it we feel it emotionally and psychologically more than probably anything else when we feel rejected right well we feel rejected sometimes because we're not included we're not totally kicked out but we're left out and so the same feeling is there it can lead to Affecting our sleep, it can make us feel in, that um, we're not worth as much. We can lose self-esteem because, you know, we used to be part of the part of the circle. We used to be the life of the party, and now suddenly we're in a corner by ourselves. Like Carl said, waiting for people to come to us because it's a lot harder. For us to go and seek people out, particularly if it's a party where there's music playing and you can't hear people, they're talking to you.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: It's estimated, and, and Carl talked, I mean, uh, Tom talked a little bit about this, but some of the figures I saw is that <clears throat> older persons, it estimated in the next 15 years, it'll be about a half million older Americans who have a dual sensory loss. Wow. <laughs> and dual sensory loss can be frustrating. It can make us angry. It could cause us to withdraw, to pull away from family members and friends and society and, and be participating in, you know, in our communities and what's going on. And the And the feeling of of social isolation becomes worse as we get older. We get tired of having to pretend that we hear when we don't. We smile. We nod our heads. We change the subject because we don't know what the subject is. We tell a joke, we give an order, we make a suggestion, we try to be in charge. We're constantly compensating and feeling frustrated and guilty and angry and resentful and left out. Carl's advice is really the best. We need to have an attitude of assertiveness. Now, to be assertive doesn't mean that we want to be confrontational or aggressive. It simply means that we need to let people know what our needs are and what our limitations are. We need to speak up for our needs. And not be ashamed of the fact that we don't hear as well, as well as we don't see as well. And sometimes we don't remember as well. So all of these things are happening to us. And guess what? They're happening to more and more people out there. And it's amazing when you start to acknowledge it to other people, they say, me too. So be Assertive, but be polite, be graceful, and be gra- gra- and be gracious about it. Thanks.
0: I have to agree with what what these gentlemen have said. Um, for example, we go out. I can tell you in a restaurant, especially where there's loud music playing, or at the ceiling floor those are difficult and yes you do have to let people know or they're not gonna know why you're not paying attention or whatever Uh, so you so you do have to let them know in in a way that's uh, polite but and not confrontational because you turn people off if you're if you're confrontational Um, and that's what you don't want unless, I think, unless you absolutely have somebody who just doesn't get it.
7: I'd like to say something. You can.
0: Ray, Ray first. Okay, Um, go ahead.
7: My son is 14 and he has a dual sensory loss, but it's only on one side. But you're right, it really does compound it because he has like a whole back quarter that doesn't see or hear. And so people think he doesn't, you know, kids think that he's being stuck up because he doesn't see or hear him. So he has that kind of experience that you guys have. But the one thing I have to offer that the school has provided for him was he had a regular FM that goes around the teacher's neck. And just recently, because he's going to be going to college um, at 15, he's going to take some college courses, they gave him a Roger Easy Pen. And the Roger Easy Pen is so cool because you point Two people. So when you hear somebody, you kind of zoom in on them by pointing to it because he has no sense of direction at all. He uses a bi cross, which doesn't give you any sensory. I mean, doesn't give you any sense of direction, but you know something is going on on that side of your head, but you still don't know where it's at. But the Roger Easy Pin was really nice, and it's very lightweight. And so when you can, when you hear somebody speaking, you kind of find them with the pen, and you can you can zoom in on them, so you can get the classroom and you can get the teacher with that more like centrally located sort of uh, microphone on the end of this very lightweight pen. And I think that's a really great thing. And I think my son is trying to grab the microphone. Um, He's, like I said, he's 14.
8: I am not trying to grab. I'm just trying to add. Uh, The Roger Easy Pen has about a 15 or 25 degree pointing zone in a cone. And it's a very, very lightweight. I like it a lot. You can hang it around the teacher's neck. You can hear
7: everything she says, even those little private conversations she has with other people. And very, precise. very precise. The sound quality is good. But you,
8: with the hearing aids, there's no way ever that you will ever have be able to tell direction if you have total hearing loss in
7: one ear. Great. It's just the way it is. There's, you're not going to be able to uh, know what's going on on that side. Thank you. Well, uh, one other thing is we don't do music. We don't do music at parties. You know, we tell him we can't have the music on, you know, because it's like you say, we got to okay. say, I can't have the music on because he can't hear his adaptive PE teacher used to have music on when they did adaptive PE. P- and there's like five or six kids with hearing aids in the room. I said, are you kidding? If you want to f- them to follow instructions, you can't have the music going because they can't hear you. So, you know, we pretty much insist on that.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. Okay, uh, yeah, and then, uh, we don't mean to rush, but we only have a couple minutes, so we've got uh, we to clear this room because other people might need it, unfortunately. And we, we could spend a couple hours on this, and, and maybe should. <laughs> uh, this is Ray Campbell speaking, and I wanted to say that uh, just to echo a couple, just a couple of comments uh, based off of what Karen said. Uh, some, one of the other things, and I'd be curious how many of you have this, if you have family members that just don't understand that, you know, I've got a hearing loss, I don't hear, Karen, I hope you don't mind my saying, but yeah, I, don't, I don't, I don't think her dad, I don't think her dad totally gets it. Now, her mom does. Now, her mom obviously is you know, has had some illness recently, but uh, her dad just doesn't get it sometimes, and, and forget, or either that or forgets that she doesn't hear as well, and, you know, it becomes a little impatient and stuff, and I remember one time, her mom said, honey, she's not hearing you, and and you know, he's like, oh, okay. And it's just, the other, other comment I'd make, I, I like the comment about getting the music turned down. We bowl with a group of people, and two of the people in the group have hearing loss and are, bo- and are also totally blind, and, uh, Karen and another guy. And one one couple weeks ago at the bowling alley, they had the music on real loud, and we said, hey, you've got to turn that down. We we can't have that. And they uh, they, they were very good, and, and did they were able to turn it down on our end of the bowling alley because... And stuff. So i i i like I like what I heard people say about the assertiveness, and that's great. Uh, maybe one or two more questions or comments, and then we do have to wrap it up. Yeah, I, yeah it's because we're actually we're actually over time already. So, yeah, yeah, so. these these blocks are kind of short. <laughs> we only did one there any other? Since I got the mic, I'll ask any other comments or questions. Well, Karen, I'm going to hand it back to you to wrap it up. Here. Okay. Take the mic before
0: you do that. Yeah, that would be a good idea. I'd like to thank everybody for coming. I hope that you got a lot out of this. And also, um, I do want to thank one of our uh, convention sponsors, General Motors, who was a, a diamond sponsor for AV services. Um. Again, if you want to get on the Sassy list, it's Sassy S-A-S-I, dash subscribe at acblists.org. You can do it off the, right on the ACB website. Yeah, it can be done off the ACB website as well. Again, I want to thank you for coming. And next year, if you have... Next year will be St. Louis. Uh, stay tuned. Uh or or if you have any ideas you can you can let us know. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
7: Nice and Sean
2: want to know.